All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? Man, I'm so excited to see you guys here today. If you're a guest with us especially, uh, I just want to welcome you. My name's Zach. Let me get my timer going here. Hold on. There we go. Uh, my name's Zach. I'm the pastor here at the church. And I want you to know this, that we may not know your name until today, but we've been praying for you, been planning for you, preparing for you to be here. And uh, we hope you feel at home, you feel welcome. And we hope that you have a... Uh, just a moment with God here is a, is a part of our service, whether you're a follower of Jesus or maybe you're exploring, maybe you've got a lot of doubts, but that God would meet you wherever you are in that and just lead you forward. Because I believe this, that we all have a next step to take toward God. And that journey is part of our story and it's, a, it's an important one. But before we jump into our message, I want to share just a couple of uh, uh, kind of housekeeping things, just a couple of announcements with you, because uh, we want you to always be ready and willing to take that next step. You saw on the video announcements that we mentioned Rock the Block. Rock the Block is an incredible opportunity this summer that we have to reach out to our community. Um, how many of you went to a VBS or heard about VBS like, growing up? Anybody in here did that like I was a VBS kid. I know not everybody had that blessing of understanding Jesus through flannel graft and eating, you know, saltine crackers and some apple juice as a snack. But that was kind of what I did. Um, but we want to take that idea of VBS. We want to kind of turn it on its head and do something that's really going to impact our community. Most times churches host, host a vacation Bible school or a VBS. We say, hey, come here. We'll provide you with this opportunity. We want to do something different. We're going to go out into the community and do this. And we need your help to do it because we need your houses, your community centers, your neighborhoods to be able to host this stuff. And so I want to encourage you to come to the meeting on May 21st. It's kind of an information slash training slash just find out about it type of experience. So we're actually going to walk through some of what... Uh, what actually what Rock the Block is going to be like. And so whether you have a host home that you want to provide, you want to lead a host home, you want to help out, you want to just bake cupcakes or gather supplies, I want to encourage you to come to this meeting. Child care is provided and we're going to have lunch for you there. So we'll take care of all that. But want to see you there. You can also stop by and find out more in the lobby at the Rock the Block table here this week. Also, uh, I shared with you last week, and we shared the week before, that um, we had 26 people take our Next Step devotions. Um, at the end of every service, we talk about if you've made a decision to follow Christ or God is leading you and really impacting your life, to go and get one of the devotions at the kind of the prayer walls that are right over there by the blue lights. And we gave out 26 of those, and we don't know what all of the decisions were that related with that, but we know this, that some of you have made decisions to follow Christ, and for the very first time. And, and the most important next step is that you share that with somebody. And the way that we do that is through baptism. So in your uh, seat, back po- seat back pocket, um, there's a thing called a connection card. You heard us talk about it. It's in a new location. Uh, this is our way of connecting with you every single week. And so if you're interested in finding out more about baptism here at River Club, specifically on the 21st, or maybe you can't do that day, but you want to do it in the future, you can fill that card out, check baptism and then drop that into one of the connection card baskets on your way out. It's also a great way you can share with us prayer requests, how God's working in your life, anything that you would like for us to know. So don't miss out on, on this opportunity to connect with us each and every week. And that's where they are in the back of your, uh, your chair in front of you there. All right. Well, hey, we are going to continue our series today called uh, This Is Me, looking at this idea of identity and the importance of our identity. You know, and I was doing some study this week and, you know, I started thinking about something and uh, I did a little bit of research and it was interesting to me. 
Um, I, I'm not a big uh, Shakespeare, you know, uh, English major type of person. I mean, I had to read some stuff back in high school and back in college. But, but I came across this quote, and it's interesting because I didn't know that this idea actually began with Shakespeare. In the, the, the play Hamlet, he says this. He says, apparel oft proclaims the man. And I started looking at that and I said, okay, I'm not quite sure what that means. But as I did some more research, I realized that hundreds of years later, Mark Twain reframed it and he restated it. And here's what he said. He said that clothes make the man, right? It means the exact same thing. So for all of you like literary, you know, scholars that are out here, I'm speaking to you. But for others that aren't, hey, Mark Twain, we can understand that, right? But it's this idea that clothes make the man or clothes make the woman. They make the person. And it's really this idea that what covers us can define us. And really, you know, our clothes and the things that we wear can, can do a couple of things. One, it communicates something about us. Like, for example, I came up with a couple, you know, things that when you see somebody wearing, uh, let's go to this next slide. You see somebody wearing this, you assume that they are a what? Baseball player, right? Okay, go to the next slide, go to the next picture. Doctor, right? Doctor, some sort of medical field, you know, lab coat, that kind of stuff. You know, you go to the next slide and you see, you know, law enforcement, right? Because the things that they're wearing actually communicates to other people something about them. But it's not just uniforms that, that do this. Go to the next picture. I try to be politically correct, and so I just got everybody in one picture here today. But... Um, you know, you see somebody dressed up and you, you think, okay, well, they have a job where, you know, there's a little more formality to it. Or you see somebody out on a Friday night and they're all dressed up and you think, hey, they're going somewhere where it requires a little bit more than just kind of maybe some casual clothes, like, like the next picture. You know, you see somebody wearing that throughout the week, you think they either have a day off or they've got a job that they don't have to dress up for very much. You see that on weekends, it's kind of more of a casual type feel. I thought about the next one. You know, a tuxedo t-shirt, which we all know what that means. It's I'm formal, but I like to party, right? Okay, I mean, that's kind of, you know, she's probably wearing that. If they're over 40, though, they got an immaturity thing, so we got to deal with that. But, like, this is kind of the way it goes. But then I thought of another one, uh, a plaid shirt and jeans, which can mean many things, but is, is typically means I'm preaching on a Sunday, right? Because that's kind of apparently, that's what I wear all the time. So, but, you know, you see those things, and what covers us communicates something about us. But... Well, you know, and I came across this, this article on this whole idea uh, in Forbes.com. Uh, Forbes it said, you know, it's no news that your wardrobe says a lot about you. What you wear can inform a passerby of your type of employment, as well as your ambitions, your emotions, your spending habits, etc. Some of you are like, my clothes don't say anything about me. Yes, they do. They say you don't value style as much as some people do, right? So it says something about us, no matter what it is. Not a good thing, not a bad thing, not judging clothes, but it's just the reality. What covers us communicates something about us. But what's interesting is, is what covers us also helps create something about us. You're kind of like, what does that mean? Well, there, I came across this study. It says, a study this year from Northwestern University examined a concept called enclothed cognition. Enclothed cognition. How many of you have heard of that term before I just said it this morning? Okay, me neither, right? Like, this is the first thing. I was like, okay, is this like a real thing? What's going on? So the researchers define it in their report as the systematic influence that clothes have on the wearer's psychological processes, meaning this, that what your clothes are saying to you, not about you, and how they make you feel. And I was like, okay, hold on a minute. So my clothes communicate things to other people, 
but my clothes are talking to me. They're changing the way I, I, I start to feel. And I started reading more about it, and, I'm, and it made a lot of sense. You know, like how many of you, when you come home from work, you change out of your work clothes and you put something else on? Anybody did that? Right? Yeah. And what it does, it's kind of that switch that says, okay, I'm not in work mode anymore. I'm in home mode, right? How many of you guys, you know, when, when you go, you know, work out, um, you don't just wear like jeans and boots to work out, but you wear like workout clothes. Anybody? Right? Some of you, your whole style is workout clothes and you never work out. And that's okay. But that's just kind of the way it goes, right? But, but you know, it kind of does that. You know, that really kind of how we, how we feel about what we're wearing, it actually does something. If you're going to go to a big meeting or you're going to go to a formal event, you want to be dressed in the park. Because if you've ever walked into a formal setting or you've been underdressed or, or not dressed appropriately for that time, you know it can create some insecurity and you don't feel as confident about yourself. Well, that's this high idea of enclosed cognition. And so physically, what covers us can communicate something about us. It can also help determine and kind of change something within about how we feel. And, and, and while that's all well and good, I think there's a good parallel, not to the physical side, but to the spiritual side. Because in the same way that what covers us physically determines something about us, what covers us spiritually determines something about us. And as we talk about identity, I want to talk more about this idea of what are you wearing? Spiritually, what is covering you? You know, if you were here last week, we talked about this series of identity, and we said that, that life lived well is really about trying to find the right answers to some fundamental questions. And two of those questions are this. One is the question of identity. It's that question of who am I? You know, who am I? What, what defines me? Who do people see me to be? Who am I supposed to be? That question of identity. Then this question of purpose, of well, what am I to do? And we all go through seasons of time, some more than others, where we struggle with that question of identity and we struggle with that question of purpose. And it's not for some of us, not just a one time in, in our teenage years type of thing. We're constantly struggling with that, with that, that reality. Eric Geiger, a, a teaching pastor and, and author, says this, and we talked about this, this quote last week, that everyone searches for a clear identity. We long to possess a strong sense of who we are, and we crave to be known for something. Whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a Christian here today or not, I believe that we're all like this. We all crave for that identity. We want to be known, and we want to be known for something. And so what we said last week was that if we're going to determine our what, our purpose, we first have to begin to define and understand our who, our identity. That our identity affects our life. Our identity not only communicates something like we talked about, but it also shares with us kind of who we are. And so throughout this series, we, we want to talk about the importance of identity and how can we get the right answer to that question. Because who we are is going to determine what we do. And the answer to who we are is going to determine, I believe, how we live our life and what type of life we get to live. And this struggle for identity is one that we looked back at and we said, let's go all the way back to the very first people, back to the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. And I want to recap for you guys that weren't here, but also for you that were here, I want to kind of bring us back to where we left off because we're going to continue today in that kind of same thought really trying to figure out what do we do with where, where God has kind of led us. And we said that the Bible says in Genesis 1.26 that God said, let us make man in our own image. 
and it says, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And we said, if you're taking notes, write this down on your, um, your kind of bullseye um, illustration there. But we said that God created Adam and Eve, the first people, with this sense of self, this identity, and a purpose. Said, so you've been made in my image, my likeness. You've been made to know me and to love me, be loved by me, and be known by me. That they were made really seeing who they were through who God said they were. And they were given a purpose. And that purpose was to rule and to live their lives in a way that best honored God. And and lived out God's plan, his purpose, his will on the earth. But part of that reality was for for them to really be a a person and not a robot, to have a relationship with God instead of just this, you know, kind of this forced type of, of connection. They had free will. And so they were given the opportunity, they were given the choice of, am I going to accept this idea of identity, this purpose, or am I going to do something different? And God gave them certain boundaries. One boundary he said was, don't eat from a certain tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat from that tree, he said, you're going to die. Spiritually, you're going you're to die. Because once you embrace that sin, disobedience will enter your life. And when that sin disobedience enters your life, you now have personal knowledge, not just to evil, not just to what's wrong, but to the consequences of it. But we we saw in Genesis 3, 6, and 7 that Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree. They rejected God, rebelled against him. And it says at that point in the very bottom of the slide that the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. And they had this reality of shame creep into their life. That for the first time, they felt insecurity. For the first time, they felt embarrassed. For the first time, they realized because now that this self was broken, this self was marred and fractured because of sin, they realized that they weren't happy with kind of who they were. And so what did they do? Well, they began to cover themselves and they began to create kind of this act we looked at or this mask of hiding who they were because they were embarrassed of the shame that their sin brought to their life. And so in verse 7, of, or verse, um, yeah, 7 of chapter 3, it says, And the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So because they embraced sin, and they, they, they lost their identity and purpose being in God, and they embraced their own identity, their own purpose, that sin created shame. And because now they experienced shame, they had to try to find a way to deal with it. And so they created coverings for themselves. And where we, where we kind of ended last week, we said, their story is our story. The part of the reason why God has the story of creation in his word is he wants us to understand that, that their struggle for identity and purpose is just like our struggle. That we too have been made in the image of God. But because of sin, the Bible says that all have sinned. Every single one of us have rejected God's identity, rejected God's purpose at a certain point. Because of that sin, we now experience our own shame. That there are parts of our life that we're embarrassed of. Parts of our lives that we hope nobody finds out about. Parts of our lives that we try to hide from people. And the way we hide it is that we create an act. We, create, we get a mask. And we said that for some, that might be career, success. For some, it might be money and possessions. For some, it might be relationships. But we try to portray that, that we're a certain type of person, but we never really let people in on who we really are. 
And the problem with that is if somebody loves the act, we recognize that they don't really love us. You know, if somebody loves the person we're pretending to be, the me I pretend to be, they're not going to love the me that I was meant to be. And so we left last week with the question of really asking, where are you looking for identity and purpose? Are you looking to yourself or are you looking to God? And could God really, throughout this series, could he allow us to drop the act, to let go of the shame, and rediscover our true identity in him? And I want to continue that today because where, where we find ourselves is this interesting place. Because God responded to Adam and Eve when sin entered the world. They responded, but then God responded a certain way as well. And what's interesting is, is how they responded and how God responded aren't the same thing. So let's look at what happened once they realized that sin had fractured them, once they realized that they were no longer clothed, once they realized that, that they needed to do something to try to fix and solve their brokenness. Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 7. It says, in the eyes of both them were open, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you were in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Here's what's interesting about this. You can't win playing God in hide and seek. Right? God knows where we are. He knew where they were. But what's interesting was God didn't just come to them. God called out to them. See, God comes to us when we're in our sin. But he cries out because we have to come to him. He comes to us and he says, hey, listen, where are you? But he wants us to respond. And Adam and Eve responded. And then, then God, you know, kind of gets to this point of saying, okay, well, what happened? Look at verse, uh, verse 11 to 13. He says, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So God, knowing full well what had happened, because God knows everything, it's part of what makes him God. He wants them to admit their sin, to admit their mistakes. He says, who told you you had no clothes on? You know, what's changed? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And then now that they're busted, they do the exact same thing we do when we're caught being wrong, right? They begin to blame. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. And at the end of the day, then God's like, listen, it doesn't matter who's, who, you know, who caused it, all that kind of stuff. The reality is this is that Adam and Eve both made a choice. They rejected God's command. And because of that, that sin now entered into their self and their shame came and they began to try to figure a way to deal with that. And so God goes on to honestly and lovingly tell him, listen, there's a consequence to your sin. And he explains the consequence to Adam, explains the consequence to Eve, explains the consequence to the serpent. And he says, listen, because of this reality, life is no longer going to be as it was originally intended. But even in that moment, God begins to point to the fact that he's not okay with it staying that way. 
And so then God does something, which is really interesting. God shares the consequence. He, he points to hope, but then he makes them close. Look at verse 21. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. God's protecting them because if they reached out for the tree of life and they embraced eternal life at that moment, they would forever be eternally bound in their sin and separated from God. And so to protect them, God banished them from the garden to work the ground which, has been, which he'd been taken from. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, here's what's interesting. God did not block the way to the tree of life permanently. He put a guard there. That eternal life was once again going to be reopened, but it wasn't time yet. But it's interesting because as you look at this, Adam and Eve and God both respond to the reality of their nakedness in different ways. If you're taking notes, write this down. See, Adam and Eve covered themselves with leaves, but God clothed them with skins. Adam and Eve, realizing that they were naked, realizing this reality of a broken identity was now a part of who they were, they covered themselves with leaves. But when God comes, God clothes them with skins. Now you might be looking at that and going, okay, well, what's, what's the difference? It's kind of the same thing, right? Well, actually, it's, it's not. Because as you study a little bit more, here's what's interesting. In verse, chapter 3, verse 7, it says that they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The, the word covering that's used there is basically the word for lowing cloth, right? It's, it, it's not clothing. It's basically just a covering. A very simple covering, a very, very, very minimal covering. And so Adam and Eve just began to scramble and try to find anything they could to sew together and they grabbed leaves just to cover themselves. Not to solve the problem of nakedness, but just trying to, trying, trying to, trying to fix it as best that they could. But then God comes, and in verse 21 of chapter 3 it says that God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. He didn't cover them, he clothed them. And this word clothed is lavash, this Hebrew word, it means to clothe, it means to fully clothe. Not just a, a temporary, you know, minimal covering, but a clothing. And it says that God made garments, he fashioned garments, created garments. See, when Adam and Eve realized that they had sinned and they were now experiencing shame for the first time, they tried to fix their problem. And they tried to just put whatever they could together to fix what they realized was now broken. But when God comes, God doesn't just want to temporarily fix their problem. He wants to do something more than that. And so instead of just covering them, he closed them. And there's a difference between the covering that they provided for themselves and the clothing that God provided for them. Write these things down. The, 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 the covering they provided was temporary. It was made out of fig leaves. Well, leaves aren't going to hold up over time. They're going to have to be replaced pretty often. 
they're going to dry out. They're going to they're going to rot. They're going to tear. They're going to they're not going to protect from 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 many different things. But but God used skin, animal skin. It's more durable. It's more rugged. We we still use animal skin today for clothing. Why? Because it's one of the best things that we can use. That's natural and not kind of the synthetic stuff. So they found something temporary. God gave them something permanent. But then we're lasting. But we also see this, that they chose something that was insufficient. Uh, you know, fig leaves around your, your, your midsection is not going to keep you warm on a cold night. It's not going to protect you from the thorns and the, the thistles now in the ground that you're having to till and that kind of stuff. It's not going to really do that. It's insufficient to be your clothing for a long time. But God gives them something that's sufficient. He clothes them with material that actually is beneficial, that will help, that will work. We see that they chose something that was man-made. But the skin and the clothes that God made was God-made. And see, man-made things, can you imagine, if you ever tried to sew for the very first time? Can you imagine if somebody said, okay, you're now naked the rest of your life. Here's nature. Sew yourself something. Right? I'm thinking it wasn't like this very fashionable, well-put-together kind of thing. But what God does is God crafts. He fashions. He uses his skill, his knowledge, his ability to create. See, Adam and Eve chose something that was, was fairly cheap. There were leaves everywhere. But God uses animal skin, something that was costly. Because where do you get animal skin? From an animal. Well, how do you get the skin of an animal? You have to kill the animal. See, when they realized that life was now not as it was intended to be anymore, Adam and Eve said, I've got to try to do something to fix this. But God said, I want to do something to actually begin to make it right. And see, their story is our story, right? What God does for them physically, we see God beginning to talk about doing for us spiritually. See, when we come along the side and we say, okay, I'm a broken self covered in shame. And now I've got to try to find something to cover my life. So often we choose things that are more like what Adam and Eve chose instead of what God gave. We choose things that are temporary, things that are insufficient, they're not going to last. Things that are man-made, things that, that aren't eternal, things that are pretty cheap because they can be replaced and go away just like that. We try to cover ourselves with career. We try to cover ourselves with a relationship. We try to cover ourselves with money and possessions, with how good our kids are at it, something. And we begin to try to craft this identity of who we are and who we want to pretend to be around things that are simply going to go away one day. But God wants to come and He wants to clothe us. He wants to not just deal with a problem in a temporary way, he wants to do something that's going to last for eternity. And see, what's interesting is this, is as, we, as we talk more and more about this, we see that this idea is all throughout Scripture. 
In Psalm 31 or 32, 1 through 2, the psalmist writes this. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. See, the psalmist says, listen, that in God, what God can do is he can take all the sin and the things that that create shame and he can remove those. He can get rid of those. And what joy comes from somebody now who doesn't have to recognize that this defines their life in God's eyes, but that this can be wiped away. Isaiah, the the prophet of the Old Testament, says this in Isaiah 61.10. He says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Isaiah says, listen, I don't have to try to fix my own sin problem because I can't. But God wants to come and he wants to clothe me. He wants to cover me completely. He wants to wrap me in salvation. He wants to wrap me in forgiveness. He wants to wrap me with the robe of righteousness. He he doesn't want us to simply live in these temporary masks. He wants to, to do something in our life that's lasting, that's eternal. And Isaiah says that he clothes us. He gives us his robe. And I keep going back, though, the, this, this idea, this picture of how God got the animal skin. See, sin led to a sacrifice. For God to do what he could do for Adam and Eve, there had to be a sacrifice. It's a picture of this sacrifice of uh, perhaps maybe the animal sacrifices that God used and God instituted in the Old Testament to temporarily relieve sin and forgive sin of the people until one day the ultimate sacrifice would come. But it's a picture of a God who said because of sin there needs to be a sacrifice and ultimately gave his son Jesus as the ultimate and greatest sacrifice. Look what Hebrews says. In the New Testament, Hebrews 2.17, it says, Therefore, it was necessary for him, talking about Jesus, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be a merciful and high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. See, the, the sacrifice that God did, that God made to, to clothe Adam and Eve didn't take away their sin. It didn't solve their sin problem. What it did was it, it, temper, it, it, it kind of gave them a reprieve. And he met their need while pointing to the greater need that they had. That they needed an ultimate sacrifice. And because Jesus died on the cross and gave his life for you and for me, because he became our sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That, that because he now became our sin, our sacrifice, we now can have our shame erased. That everything that we've done, every sin we've committed now can be forgiven. Why? Because Jesus has come and he can clothe us with his forgiveness. Clothe us with his love. Clothe us with his righteousness. With his sacrifice. That God can come and God can take away our sin. He can take away our shame. And he can let us realize that we don't have to live this fake act. 
We're going to have to try to create an identity for ourselves that's temporary and not lasting. But because of who he does, he comes and he actually remakes ourself. And when he remakes ourself, we realize this, that now we are not just us. We are now clothed with Christ. Jesus covers us. The blood that was shed on the cross forgives our sin. The blood that was shed on the cross now becomes our righteousness. His perfections are perfection. And there's nothing that can take that away from us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new has begun. Do you realize this, that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the broken self isn't just mended, it's completely replaced. And God now takes Jesus and Jesus becomes our identity. Jesus becomes our strength. Jesus becomes our hope. He becomes our power. He becomes our righteousness. He becomes our perfection. He becomes our identity. And once again, we're found complete and whole before God. And are free, empowered to live out the purpose that he's given us. You see, we can't do anything to solve our sin problem and our brokenness problem. All we can do are find temporary coverings. But God can clothe us in Jesus. And when he does, he can make us new. And when we have this created self, this new self, we don't have to live with shame because we're forgiven. Our past no longer defines us. Our mistakes now are free and forgiven in Jesus. And we don't have to put on an act. Because God sees exactly who we are and he loves us. And he made us new. And so here's the question this morning. What are you wearing? What are you wearing? Are you trying to fix your life with the things that you can cover yourself with? Those things that are temporary? Those things that are insufficient? That are man-made, that are or cheap and can be replaced just like that? Or are you covering your life with Jesus? The one who lasts forever. The one who's all sufficient. The one who's God. And salvation made by God. In our life. And are you, are you embracing that? See, until we get honest about how we're trying to cover ourselves, we're not fully going to understand how God wants to clothe us. So what are you wearing today? Will you pray with me? God, I come to you and thank you that, God, the Old Testament, even being something that happened thousands of years ago, is, it's our story. And it reveals to us, God, not just what went wrong with the world, but more importantly, God, God, how you've come to fix it. How you've come to make us new, make us whole. To redefine, God, and reestablish our identity, the me that we were always meant to be in you. And the purpose we were supposed to have. That you can remove our shame. We can let go of the act and recognize ultimately, God, in you we find everything. 
God, in this moment, I just pray that we would respond to you well. It's in your name. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want to give two invitations this morning, two opportunities to respond specifically. The first one is this. Is maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. Maybe you grew up in church, you're a good person, but you know in your heart of hearts right now that, that you've tried to cover your sin and brokenness with everything you can do and you've never trusted Jesus to do it. And I want to lead you in a prayer right here in this moment where if your heart's desire is to do this, you can be made new. And you can say yes to Jesus. Just pray this prayer with me where you are. Say, dear Jesus, I admit to you my brokenness, that I've sinned. Jesus, I ask you to forgive that sin. I believe that you can clothe me. You can make me new. Make me God's son. Make me God's daughter. Jesus, thank you for saving me today. And Jesus, I commit from this day forward to live my life for you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, listen, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I believe this, that it's not the words that created this to happen, it was the intent of your heart. But because you confess your sin and you acknowledge and believe in Jesus, you've been made new and you're a different person than when you walked in today. No longer are you covered with the leaves that you try to craft for yourself, but you're covered with Jesus. And you're forever His. But there's others in this room, Christians, followers of Jesus, who just like me, struggle with this idea of identity sometimes. Because even though we've been made new, we've been created new, we've been given this new identity, we still want to try to go back to the fig leaves, go back to the coverings and try to find our identity in something other than Jesus. And so maybe today what God has for you to do is just make that confession that you're still trying to create an identity for yourself and putting your priorities on the wrong things instead of ultimately trusting Jesus and what he says about you. The identity that he's given you, the purpose he's given you. And if that's you, just would you pray this prayer with me? Just say, dear Jesus, Today I come to say I'm sorry. I confess to you that I keep going back to the fig leaves instead of the clothes that you've made for me. God, I want to find my identity in you all the time, not just some of the time. Would you make me more and more aware of who I am? God, as we sing this song together and respond, whether we find ourselves becoming a follower of yours for the first time or we've been here for a long time, but we're struggling, God, by keeping the main thing the main thing. We sing this song to you now in this moment, proclaiming, God, the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing to him.
wanna know you, Lord.